Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Now, imagine it was full of highlights and notes in the margin, and you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is the Notable Podcast. These are discussions of twin pastors who share their underlining and highlighting with you. This is Season 8, a podcast on Genesis 12 through 25 and the life of Abraham. Well, welcome back, everyone, uh, to the Notable Podcast. Uh, this is a great chance to open up your Bibles or um, even listen to, to Genesis chapter 15 before you come into this, but just have it fresh in your minds. We're going to be uh, grappling with, with the scripture. Uh, we're still right here in, in Genesis chapter 15. We're spending the most time in this chapter um, refer to the last podcast if you have any questions about why. But today we're gonna we're gonna be building on that. And so last time we saw how the Lord is helping Abram um, to have faith. We and, and we saw what the Lord d- does with faith and, and through faith in the life of Abram. And here we're gonna see the Lord deepen uh, Abram uh, here in faith. Now, before I, I get into the meat of the sermon, I think this is a good chance to just pause and talk about what faith does. So we're going to talk about how faith is strengthened, but the nature of faith is that it trusts God's promises. I want to make that really clear. Here in verse 7, and this is what we're going to follow into, um, this is what it says. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, I want you to notice there, um, there's overtones here of the Exodus. You know, um, this is what the Lord does. He brings people out of places to the promised land. This is what the Lord does characteristically. Um, to give you this land to take possession of it. Okay, so the Lord has given here, Abram, a promise, a specific word a verbal promise, God's word in Abram's life. It is the nature of a believer to believe God's spoken promises. (laughs) I'm trying to make this, if we don't believe in God's promises, our faith's going to be really screwy. And it's going to get, you know, if we have sort of this nebulous, God loves me, God cares about me, that's all we got. Then when when a bad thing happens, our, our our supposed faith is going to be shattered. What God promised to do isn't give you a life that's perfect here on earth. What God promised to do is keep his word. <laughs> so Christians hold to God's word. I'm going to stop right there. Well, Don't it's go any it's- further. It's a it's a big it's a big deal, Jonathan, and it's, and it's it's so important that that we get that um, that truth that faith it needs something to cling to, um, and that's what God's going to give them here. Like it, if you look at this chapter, it's really got two parts. Where the in the first part of the chapter, he's the promise is for the the blessing of all nations to come and. We'd call him the Messiah, the promised one. 
hear the promises for land. And this goes all the way back to um, Genesis chapter 12, where we're, we're promised, it's, the, the promise is the same for us, that there's going to be the blessing for all nations, the Messiah, who's going to give us the new heavens and the new earth. Like the Bible's promises uh, are clear and they grow. And these are what we need to cling to when uh, all appearances are screaming that God is not good, that that God um, is love. Like that, your, your point is right on target. So here we have, now we introduce the, this particular podcast. We are talking about faith. And Timothy, I'm really pumped about this. We are running out of time. Um, in this podcast, it's getting it's going along too fast. But here's Abram, uh, Abram, Abraham. He becomes the great man of faith. And here we're going to see um, a really key story in in God's how God um, deepens him in faith. So here's what happened um, after the Lord made this promise. Abram said, "Sovereign Lord." How can I know that I will gain possession of it? In other words, he's asking this question, how can I know? How, how can I have more confidence? How can I have more faith? How can I know that you're really going to come through? And this is where, um, at, at, just as an introduction to this whole thing, I want to help Christians think about, think about this. Um, I've said this before, and I think you've said it before too, Timothy, that it's, it's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing to trust him. And so what I mean by that, there's a lot of people who say, you know, I think God is out there somewhere. He exists. That's not yet faith. Faith is to believe God, that he's actually for you. This is what, and this is what it means to have Christian faith. So there's tons of people who think that God exists. Like, and I, I, and I could quote for you the poets and the lyricists on this. Like there, there was a poet by the name of Fitzgerald and he, he thought God exists, but this is how he imagined him. Uh, this is how he said, we are no other than a moving row of magic uh, shadow shapes that come and go, round with the sun, illumined lantern held in midnight by the master of the show. But helpless pieces of the game, he plays upon his checkerboard of night and days, hither and thither moves and checks and slays, and one by one back in the closet lays. Shakespeare, here's Shakespeare. Shakespeare, uh, King Lear, here's two, two really famous lines from Shakespeare. As flies to wanton boys, are we to the gods, they kill us for their sport. That's Shakespeare. So here are people who believe in the existence of God or gods, and yet there, there is, there is, there is no trust. There's no confidence that God cares. God cares for us. And and so for some people have no faith at all. And and sometimes I think what happens in in Christian life is that we're reductionistic about faith, so that we we believe the heart of faith, and the heart of the 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 heart of faith is that Jesus has justified us, and that we do have eternal life in His name. But we don't we'll believe the rest of it. So, so that we trust God with our eternity, but we don't trust him with lesser things. We, we, we trust God with our forgiveness, but we're not with our marriage. We, we trust God 
with um, our eternal mansion, but not with our house here on earth. And so uh, what we want to do, and this is this, we want to see how, Lord, how can we know? How can we deepen in this? That's what that's what we're talking about today. Yeah, and I want to frame it in a different way, Jonathan. It is maybe ask a, the question a little bit different way. How can we take this knowledge that we have in our our head? This is a very Western way of thinking, by the way, and have it pass into our hearts. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, how do we how do we take knowledge that even the devil has, like the scriptures say, and have it power our life for every single moment of our lives? And and this is really what the podcast is about today, right, Jonathan? That God is gonna He's gonna um, strengthen our faith. He's going to raise it up and, and he's going to do that in Abram's life right here. Now, this is what's really interesting, Timothy. This is a bizarre story. It is so interesting. It's so mysterious. And what the Lord is going to give uh, Abram here are uh, really three profound experiences. And I want to I wanna read um, the first one. Okay, so I'm in verse 9. In verse 8, Abram says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know? We already talked about that. Now here's verse 9. So the Lord said to him, this is just really good. Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, so prime sacrificial age, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Okay, so we got five animals. Uh, verse 10. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Okay, <laughs> we don't know why Abram knew to do this, but we do know he did it. And he takes these animals, he cuts them in half, and he makes a kind of walkway, like a really grotesque, almost Halloween-esque walkway of these these dead animals, um, the the birds he don't doesn't cut in half presumably because the birds are too small and and he puts the birds opposite. So then you have uh, four sets of animal pieces that um, form a sort of walkway as they're set opposite each other. And then you get verse. We're going to talk about why this all sets up later. So just hang on for that. But just imagine this scene: very Halloween, uh, very gruesome. And then you get verse 11. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Okay, so <laughs> I just, I love this story. Um, I, the first thing I want to do is I just want us to experience it. Okay. Birds of prey come down. That's the first part that we want to go into. First of all, I want you to know, so we can imagine this appropriately, this is probably not, uh, we probably shouldn't think of like glorious birds of prey. This is probably carrion. <laughs> this is, this is at best a crow, but probably vultures. This is not bald <laughs> eagles. This is not a peregrine falcon or something like that. This is... These are death birds. That's what they are. Um, I I went around. I don't know. I 
Timothy, I went around this week. I don't know. I've never done this before, but occasionally I get interested in things like this. And he started going around to people in my life. And I, and I said to him, have you ever had an encounter with a vulture? <laughs> like, cause that's what happens here. And, and everybody said, no, I've never had an encounter with, with a vulture. Well, I have. I actually have had an encounter with a vulture. So, <laughs> oh no, horrible. maybe God was strengthening your faith or something. <laughs> I have no idea. But so I used to live on on a, in a neighborhood called the Ridge, appropriately named. I was my house was literally at the top of a ridge, and so there'd be these mighty birds of prey, maybe carrion, flying up above, like up on the hot South Carolina winds above this ridge to the point that we would occasionally think twice about letting our little eight pound designer dog outside because we're afraid we might not find her when we went out. Um, so we would always go outside with her. Well, there was also along our road, our road uh, was really known for deer kills because there were a lot of deers there and um, uh, heavily populated. And so cars would hit them. And then they'd be roadkill. Well, one time I'm minding my own business, like I often did, and I'm on this run and, and I'm running up this hill and all of a sudden I come across this um, roadkill, but not just road, it was very fresh roadkill. And um, there were four, I just came across four vultures. And I, I remember how they hopped off the kill. And I remember their beady little merciless, um, like, demonic looking faces and um it was it took my breath away and the worst part was i'm not even making this up the worst part is i remember the the vulture like had its had its head in the head of the deer and it's just tearing at it like it's a it's it's a, just a gruesome thing so here you have these death birds they come down on these animal parts and to which, again, I was going around to people in my life because it's just, just such a mysterious story. And I said, have you ever heard this Bible story before? And, and people are saying, I've never heard this Bible story before. And, I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and people are saying, Pastor, I have no idea what you're going to say about that on Sunday. And, and I said, I don't yet either. But the point is that here you have an experience that is a symbol in the Bible. And explaining it is a little bit like, it's a little bit like telling the punchline to a joke, to be honest. But I think we probably should. Because I, what it is, yeah. Before you do that, though, I, I, I just want to make one little observation about, about Abram and later Abraham. This guy, like... <laughs> I want to move into a different part of the scene with you for a second. He cuts a cow in half. Like, we'll see later in Genesis chapter 22. Um, this is a little bit of guessing. But Abram Abraham is an absolute Paul Bunyan, by the way. <laughs> like, he cuts a cow in half. And then <laughs> late, later, later, when God says, go sacrifice your son, we're told he goes out back and he starts chopping wood. This is you are 
you are a Minnesotan at heart doing the Paul Bunyan thing. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. He's an absolute Paul Bunyan. And like, if we want to, what I'm trying to do is trying to get people to experience this because You're right. Right. not only have I never had a, a close encounter with a vulture, I've never chopped a cow in half. And he did. And that, that's a very moving experience. It's it's un, unforgettable in a lot of ways. Like I, I, I can remember jerking a, a hook out of a fish's mouth and that was too much for me, you know? <laughs> so this is, this is a whole nother level, Jonathan, but go ahead and explain it to us all now. Oh, this is like telling the punchline to a joke. I do remember, I'm, I'm laughing right now, but I do remember experiencing that moment with with quite a bit of horror it's it, it's 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 poetic timothy and, and symbolic um vultures always are you know crows are they evoke things in us and the poet i don't know if i can say it better than this but the poet says grim death pursues me all the way nowhere i rest securely Here's the deal. Very, very obviously, the Lord, the it's this is an amazing thing. The Lord says, the Lord says, or Abram says, Lord, basically prays, Lord, increase my faith. That's what he prays. And then the Lord sends him vultures. And what's the point of that? I'll tell you what the point is. Uh, God's promise faces opposition in the world, Timothy. God wants to give us life, but death wants to come for us. And God is saying to us, you should not be surprised. If we are surprised by trouble, um, if we're not ready for it, it's going to hurt our faith. God did not promise a rose garden. What he did promise through Jesus Christ is thorns. He said, in this world, you will have trouble but take heart, I've overcome the world. His apostles said the same thing. They said, we must, through many hardships, enter the kingdom of God. In other words, the Lord is increasing Abram's faith by showing him, this is going to be hard, but I'm going to get it done. And I'm going to face opposition, but I'm doing it. And the vultures come down. I, th- I think there's another aspect too of like he you can imagine him he's Paul Bunyan only not with wood this time he, he's got everything ready and and he's just sitting there thinking okay God I did what you said now strengthen my faith and just by making him wait that little bit and making him chase the vultures the opposition here he's strengthening his faith. I think that's cool. <laughs> He's like, look, sometimes you get to wait. And here's the last thing I want to say about this. You have got to read this sensitively. See, a lot of people are going to read the story, and this is what they're going to do. They're going to go, uh, the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And they they picture Abram like with this broom or something like, ah. And he's just driving the birds away. And if you think that that's what happened, you're not getting, you're actually not getting it. You're not getting it at all. Abram 
didn't drive the birds away because of what he did. Listen to this carefully. He drove the birds away by who he was. See, the curse of death was coming for him. And it's as it's coming for us all, Timothy. And we are not going to drive the vultures away from us because of, because of what we do. The vultures are getting driven away because of who we are. The blessings come and down because God's making the, come, the, the blessings come and down. So you have to read this poetically. You have to read it symbolically and theologically to get the point. Vultures came down, death birds are coming for us, but Abram drove them away because God's blessing was coming down on him because God had determined it would be so. Here's the last comment I have about this. What this means is that we should, as we live our faith lives, we need to live it not as five-year-olds who have their ice cream melt and the top plop off and we all go to pieces. We should be living our lives like Clint Eastwood in a gunfight. <laughs> we don't come apart in the struggle. This is faith through struggle. So that's the first scene. That's the first scene, but we got another one. There's another one. <laughs> oh, man. This is so good. I love this story. Okay. So this was during this. Well, it happened so far. It happened during the day. But now we're moving into verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. Uh, pause. Uh, the, the Hebrew word here, deep sleep, very rare. Um, it's already occurred once in, in Genesis. It is the same sleep that God put Adam into when he um, did surgery on him and took a, a ribbon and then fashioned Eve. So this is an incredibly deep sleep. Abram falls into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Okay. Um, we need to pause here too. Um, the, the lexicons are going to tell us that this, this, um, this great fear, that's what it, it's called here. Um, it's this, it, it the translation doesn't quite get it, but it's the great terror and great fear um, that, that Abraham and a, and a darkness, a profound darkness that he experiences here. And the lexicons are going to tell us that this word for dread or terror, this great terror that he experiences in his sleep, um, is, is a word that's associated with an experience of God. The word that we have for this is, is a theophany. So here, Abram, um, it's the same thing that happens to Moses um, at the burning bush. It's the same thing that Isaiah experienced in God's temple. Uh, it's the same thing that Peter experienced in the boat when he figures out that Jesus is the Son of God. Great tear. Um, the other word here um, is, is darkness. And so, you, Timothy, you have two profound experiences. The first one is with vultures, and that, now this, and they get driven away. And now we're having a different one. This is not an experience with external enemies um, that come like vultures. 
this is an experience of God. And uh, Abram experiences that as great and profound dread. Now we can compare and contrast that. This is so interesting because people people have these near-death experiences. They say they experience God as pure light. But in the Bible, (laughs) whenever you experience God, it is so heavy, it is so glorious that people cry out in absolute terror. And Abram experiences deep, profound dread. He would have never forgotten this. There's a there's a the uh, help me remember this though, Jonathan. There's a there's a, a Lutheran theologian who gave this this fear a name, and I'm blanking on it right here. Mysterious, tremendous, tremendous. Yeah, yeah. where where Luther, when he considered what he was consecrating in the Lord's Supper, the first time he did that, he too was overcome by by the presence of God. And, you know, it's, it's hard to like even name parallel experiences, but I'll, I'll just in our, in our lives, because there is nothing that really parallels it. We can, we can only come close. Like if you're afraid of heights, there's a building here in New York where you can walk out on a glass floor, um, like 20 stories up and just look down. And it's the Mysterium Tremendum um, on a human level, or just peek over the edge of the Grand Canyon. And that fear that you get when you imagine yourself just plunging down, it, it, what it does is it, it, one, one preacher, I think, said it really meaningfully. It's like, it's like the fireflies with the light where, um, you're attracted to it, but also repelled from it because you know it'll kill you. And it's it, that's Abram here. It's you can, like you feel it in his gut. I want to do just a little bit of theology, and then I want to apply this. Uh, first of all, one thing that we have to learn here is that we should fear God. I mean, I'm just kind of letting that fall. We this is this is very controversial today, and I know that it is. Uh, the, and the theologians will tell us why that we have because here in the modern world we have gone ahead and we have domesticated God. That's what we've done. We put him in a nice little box, and we've said he's very cuddly and lovable, and he loves us all, and we don't fear him. Some some people call that the feminization of the church as well, yeah. like that controversially, right? Right. So don't here's what here's what we're saying like don't don't buy the hype uh we should fear god now we also said we should fear him in a very particular way and this is this is important to know we do not this is what we say in our in our confessions like in our truth statements this is what we say we do not fear god slavishly that is not a christian view of god that it does not include faith we do not see God as brutish or um, uh, like, like he's Zeus and all of a sudden he's going to possibly send a lightning on us and, and kill us or something like that. And, and, and we just cower in a corner wondering when God is going to bring the hammer down or something like that. No, 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 no. 
That's not it. That's a slavish fear of God. What we say is we have childish fear of God, a childish fear of God. A childish fear of God is, is, is the fear that a child has for their father. They don't mess with him. But, and they fully trust him that he's good, but they also know he's in charge. So uh, I don't think, you know, I, I used to say, and I might fault for this, I used to say we shouldn't call it fear, we should call it respect. I don't agree with it myself anymore. <laughs> President Jonathan doesn't appear, doesn't agree with past Jonathan. <laughs> I think fear actually gets at, the word actually gets at it. This is so much more than respect. This is this is awe. This is um, language trying to get at the majesty, the glory, the immensity of God. And only fear can that language can approach what it means to come in, in into His presence. So don't buy the hype, but. But now here's the application. This is, look, just think about this. So, so Abram says, Lord, I, I want to increase my faith. Okay. And then the Lord says, okay. And he puts him in a deep sleep and, and shows up and gives him incredible fear. <laughs> it's just really interesting thing to think about. And so we should. <laughs> here's what I, here's what I want to say. And there's much more I could say about it than this. There are two ways. There are two ways to deal with fear in life and live more confidently, more securely in God's presence. One is you can diminish your fears. And there's some legitimacy to that. Like we are afraid of things that sometimes we shouldn't be afraid of. And we need it to get tuned up to reality so we can diminish our fears. That's not really a big deal. That's not going to happen. I want to point out that that can be a legitimate coping strategy. Live more to live more securely before God. Get more get more real about about life, um, because some of those fears are irrational, and we can diminish our fears that way. But another strategy, I want to just point out that that strategy is probably not going to get us all the way there. And the reason is is because in this life, I you know, I don't think I'm breaking this as news to anybody. But our worst fears are going to be realized. People, if you worry about losing your job, guess what? One day you will. If you worry one, and I don't, none of this I say tritely, you know, you worry about losing your kids one day. Guess what? One day you will. You worry about getting sick and dying. Guess what? One day you will. In other words, what I'm saying is like, you can't, if your strategy is, I just want, I'm going to diminish all my fears. You know what? So you're afraid for a reason. So that's a lot of like the, your worst fears are, are going to be realized. And so there has to be the, the coping mechanism, the, the faith resource that we have isn't just to diminish our fears appropriately. It's also to raise up the solution. So the proper way to deal with fear in life is what I say is this, to properly fear God. The bigger God looms, the smaller our issues look next to him. 
I'll I'll just say this, like in in support of what you're saying. The, this 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 account is at the very heart of Genesis. What's at what, the bookend, the the latter bookend, is God's big goal in Abraham's life, and as he raises the knife to kill his son, it's really interesting that there's great joy in God because he says, now I know that you fear God. So everything, like Abram's like, raise up my faith. So what he's doing is, which is which is a, a New Testament way of talking about fear, which is the Old Testament way of talking about faith. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's what so, God is doing in his life to raise up his his fear sl slash faith. So so God is the terror of Abram here, and he's the fear of Jacob. I'm quoting the rest of Genesis now. He's the dread of Isaiah, and he's the horror of Peter, and he's our fear too. Because the bigger he is, and not that we make him bigger, I'm just saying like we realize how big he is. The smaller our issues are going to look next to it. And so that's why the Lord can go on and say, look, this is what's going to happen, Abram. It's going to get it's going to get worse from here. Your people are going to go into 400 years of slavery, but then I'm going to bring them out and I'm going to bless them immensely and everything's going to be OK. And by the way, Abram, you're going to die in peace. And Abram was OK with it. He could see all of that history and be OK with it because he saw how big his God was. He, God gave him just a little, you know, you notice it happens in darkness and Abram's in sleep. So he, he doesn't get a full on like experience of God here. You can, none of us as mortals can handle that, but he, he gets a little taste of who God is, his true majesty, just a little taste. And when he did, um, he, he was able to see how big the Lord was for him. And it's, when you know that it's like Fred, Frederick Douglass once said, Frederick Doug, what, Douglass once said, um, one in God makes a majority. If you just have God on your side in his enormity and his strength and his infinitude and his power and his, and his glory, then you got it. And so this is where, to close off this section, what I'm saying is we are nuancing what was overly simplistic during the pandemic. During the pandemic, everybody was saying faith over fear. That's what they were saying. And what this part of the Bible is making clear is that's not actually, that's a little simplistic. What's actually true is it's faith through fear. It's, it's having proper fear of God that allows us to have faith that is victorious over all our fears. Well, this, this might be, be um, pretty far afield. But I think when Lutherans and even other church bodies talk about faith, it's it's become overly cognitive. Like it's become scholasticized where if we can just push knowledge into people, then we've got a conversion on our hands. If we can just push information. And what the Bible does and, and here we see it so clearly is that faith is, is moved and formed. Um, this is going to sound like heresy um, emotionally, emotionally, like what? And imaginatively. 
Abram's like, God, give me more faith. I want to believe this promise. And God's like, okay, falters. And then he's like, okay, fear, <laughs> dread. So you can understand who I am. And I, I think that's really important that when Luther talked about, about faith, he, he would talk about um, fearing and loving and trusting in God, which are essentially emotional things. And when we talk about faith today, it's like, oh, we need to know God more. It's like, it just becomes like a head thing. And probably the answer is, is to, to speak in both ways, that, that we want to speak to the head and to the heart and, and form faith um, in both those ways. Right. And that was an insightful, insightful comment. But yeah, here we get phenomenology phenomenology <laughs> i tried there's phenomena right experiences yeah. that god gives to Abraham. phenomenological i think is what you wanted to say yeah phenomenological. That's to say. yeah this, man that's a hard word to say uh but now we get one final um one final experience here and i'm in i'm in verse 17 then i'll, I'll read at the end of the chapter here when the sun had set and darkness had fallen a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. So <laughs> this is awesome. I just think this is great. You... Here's what happens. You get the scene. Now the sun's finally down and it's very dark. And you have to go there in your imaginations. This isn't what had this isn't the city that never sleeps, right, Timothy? This isn't this isn't a city at all. You're you're just out there and there's no lights. I mean, it is dead pitch black because the sun's down. The darkness has come down. And you remember we have this this grotesque walkway of animal parts laid out. Um, remember that. We do get an interpretation of it, by the way, in verse 18 uh, that we'll talk about in just a second. But then you get this smoking fire pot. Now, we, we have to stop and pause here and recognize that smoke, again, is associated with God. This is the same smoke that was on Mount Sinai. Uh, then we get this blazing torch. We get we get this fire again. This is the same fire that we see um, in the wilderness generation. Uh, that was a pillar of fire um, in later Bible stories. So we these are symbols of God and His presence. In other words, uh, the Lord here is appearing. This is what we call this a theophany. And he's appearing in this, it's like this, this oven. And there's this torch in it that's keeping everything burning. Um, one, of the, one of the poets uh, puts it like this, that it was, a, it was a searing streak of fire that appeared and held its shape. I think that's, that's really beautiful. And what happens is this, this searing streak of fire comes, comes through um, the middle of the animal pieces that that Abram had laid out. Now, this is very poltergeist. If you don't know what's going on, it's very bizarre and Halloween. Like there's this levitating, uh, smoking um, 
incredible scene here. And, and it's so bizarre. It, it, it's like a Halloween gone wrong if you don't know what's going on with it. Very bizarre. But we do get an, we do get a, 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 an interpretation of it. And even if we didn't know what exactly was going on when we get first read it, Abram absolutely knew what was going on. This was a covenant ceremony. And we know that. We know this from scripture. We have um, Jeremiah talking about this. And we know it from um, extant sources from this time period, too, that this was, a we know it from the text itself, this was a covenant ceremony. And the way that covenant ceremonies work back then, well, how they work now is you sign in the dotted line. Like, if we start there, we live in a written culture. And so when Melanie and I bought a house recently, we have to sign on the dotted line. When we sign on the dotted line, um, there were clauses in there that say, if we don't pay our mortgage, they take your kids away or something like that. I don't know. I didn't read the whole thing, but there were too many pages. The, the, the point is like you sign on the dotted line. And if you don't keep your promise, there's a curse that comes down on you. Something happens to you because um, so that's how this works. You, you say that I'm going to keep this agreement. If I don't keep this agreement, here's what's going to happen to me. And this is exactly what's happening here. It looks very bizarre to us. But I think it's actually um, more, more powerful. Uh, what people in the ancient Near East would do is they say, we're going to make an agreement. Um, and we're going to, instead of writing out what's going to happen to us, we're going to act it out. And so that's what they did. They acted out. They acted out um, the covenant um, promises and the covenant curses. And so what a person would do is they would, uh, they would take an animal, they'd cut it down the middle. And then they'd say, we're going to keep this agreement together. And if we don't keep the agreement, then what, then this is what's going to happen to us. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to get cut in half. And so here, so we have a covenant, covenant ceremony. And what here is amazing to watch is that only the Lord went through the parts. I teed you up. I teed you up, Timothy. You, you did. I. Jonathan, there's, we need to do a whole nother podcast on this and maybe we're not going to have time, but um, <laughs> this is, this is, this is huge covenant theology. Like, and this is the first time we've actually run into it. This is, this is part of what we call the Abrahamitic covenant. That's right. And it precedes know, the Mosaic one. It precedes the, the Mosaic Covenant. And, and now, like, what we want to do is pick up some strands here from earlier in, in Genesis and, and go back to another covenant, which this is how I understand covenants in the Bible, Jonathan. And, and this is where I think Lutherans actually get kind of divided on this. This is, a, this is where, um, you know, covenant theology is, is, uh, is often discussed. What, what is in agreement, though, is that this is unilateral. This is only God walked through. Not They don't hold hands here. And it, what we want to do is, is go back all the way to the flood where God made another unilateral, unilateral covenant, a burrito law. That's the, the covenant of everlastingness. And, and there, the, the promise is you won't get destroyed like that again. Okay. So and it, and it's a promise. It's very universal. It's 
it's not specific really in any way. In fact, all of creation is included in it. But what happens in Old Testament theology then is the same covenant, uh, the Berit Alam, then um, gets narrowed and it, it becomes more specific and it becomes more Christ-centered as, as you go along. Uh, so the next time the Berit Alam shows up is, is in the Abraham, Abrahamitic covenant. And we're not going to be able to go too much into to Genesis 17, but Genesis 15 and 17 are really closely tied together. And there the burrito alarm shows up again, where the God is saying, I'm going to bless. And it's just me. I'm going to do it through Abraham, Abraham through your son, Isaac. And, and, and it's he's going to be a blessing for all nations. And there's going to be a promised land involved here. If you track that further in Old Testament history, the, the same covenants, yeah, I, I, the Noitic, the Abrahamitic, and then later the Davidic covenant is the same covenant, but it's made more specific where now this eternal covenant, the Berit Alam, is now going to be through David. And he, by the way, he's going to be a king. And by the way, his reign is never going to end. And we could keep we could keep going on and on and on. But this this is like a golden strand that runs all the way through scripture until we get to um, the new covenant, which is the same covenant in Jesus' blood. But the, we we got it. We could say so much more about it, but it, it lights me up to be able to talk about it. I wasn't even prepared for that. That was amazing. Wow. <laughs> that, was that, was huge. that was huge. That was a huge. Covenant. We got to do some covenants, right? You got to throw yeah. it down. But here, the Lord, how much more time we got, Timothy? A little bit more. A little bit. We more. got the Lord going through. It's it's unilateral. It's not bilateral. There's not two parties. There's just one party. And so what you have going on here is the Lord is communicating to Abraham. You want to have more faith. <laughs> See how committed the Lord is to this, right? The Lord is saying, I look, I'm gonna keep this promise to you, Abram. Even if it even if it means that I'm gonna become like these animal pieces on the ground, I'm gonna keep this promise to you upon punishment of death. That's what he's saying. And which, which is just it's just an amazing, like paradoxical thing that that the Lord is saying that he's coming to Abram and, and he's saying, um, this is how this works, Abram. I am signing on the dotted line, not you. See, I'm doing everything here. You believe. I, I'm, I'm, make, I'm the one who's going to make all of it come true. You just stay falling asleep there. <laughs> That's, this is so amazing. Like here, how passive is Abraham? He's sleeping. He couldn't even get up and walk through the pieces even if he wanted to. So he's completely passive. He's completely dead in, in a sense. And he's and God is simply saying, I want you to believe this beautiful paradox that is that, that God would have it, that he would, like, I'm using paradoxical and, and I'm not trying to be theological, so don't try to call me a heretic or anything like that. But here God is saying, I'll let my eternity end. I'll let my impassibility suffer. I'll let my glory experience shame. I'll let my life experience um, my life experience death before anything, before any of these promises of mine f 
fall to the ground unanswered for you. This is what God is saying. Mm. It's a massive affirmation of faith, a massive affirmation of faith. And so this is the application. <laughs> Actually, we're not doing application yet. Dear Christians, you ready for this? <laughs> Dear Christians, the, you realize, don't you, that the Lord actually kept this covenant. He made a promise. He said, I won't, I'm not going to let any of my promises come untrue. I'd rather die. <laughs> and so that's what he did in Jesus Christ. God let his eternity end and his impassibility suffer and his glory meet shame and his life meet death. And God is calling to us on the basis of Jesus Christ and his suffering and his death, the covenant that he made and that he kept, that we would trust him, that we would trust him, not just with forgiveness, uh, but with but with our jobs, not just with our eternity, but with our everyday lives. You know, Martin Luther put it like this. I think this is so beautiful. These are my last comments, Timothy. Martin Luther said that the Christian is a Lord of all. Isn't that beautiful? He, he says, he, in other words, he says, a Christian is going to master everything. In other, in other words, every aspect of our lives is our servant. It has to serve. We're the masters now. Everything that happens to us in our lives has to serve us. It has to work for our good because God promised us that. And so we can go through life with faith and with confidence and security because we have God's promises that God is for us in every single way, in in, in all things, all the time. And faith trusts that. If you are moved and you want to support this ministry, please 